0: Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G Marcardi, and today we're gonna to talk about software as a service, security posture management. Now, if you're wondering what's that, then you definitely need to listen. And if you already know about the importance of SaaS security, then you're in as well. So this show is for all of you, and to make it even better, I've got a special guest, Ben Johnson from Obsidian Security, and we'll talk in more detail about what you need to do to protect your part of the enterprise that involves the cloud. I think you find this is a very worthwhile episode, so please do us a small favor. Give us a like or a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform, and those ratings really help us reach our peers. And It only takes a click, and thank you for helping out our security leadership community. So what do we mean by SaaS, Security Posture Management? Well, let's start with some basics. Today, most companies have already begun their journey into the cloud. And if you're in the midst of a cloud transformation, you should ask yourself three important questions. One, how many clouds are we in? Two, what data are we sending to the cloud to help the business? Number three, how do we know the cloud environments we are using are properly configured? Now let's walk through each of these questions to understand the cyber risks we need to communicate to the business, as well as focus on one cloud type that might be forecasting a major event. So let's look at the first question, how many clouds are we in? It's pretty common to find organizations still hosting data in an on-premise data center. And this data is also likely backed up in a second location just in case a disaster event occurs and knocks out the main location. For example, if you live in Florida like me, uh, you can expect a hurricane. And when this does happen, you might expect the data center to lose power and internet connectivity. In the worst case, you might end up with some flooding or physical damage to the building, but in either situation, it's smart to have a backup location somewhere else that would be unlikely to be impacted by the same regional event. So we can think of our primary data center and our backup data center as an on-premises cloud, and therefore It's the first cloud that we encounter. The second cloud we're likely to encounter is external. Most organizations have made the shift to using cloud computing service providers such as Amazon Web Services, Azure, the Google Cloud Platform, or even Alibaba. And each of these cloud providers has a multitude of offerings designed to help organizations reduce the need to host IT services on-premises. Now, if you're using both on-prem and a cloud computing provider such as AWS, you are in what is known as a hybrid cloud environment. Now, if you use multiple cloud computing providers such as AWS and Azure, then you are in a multi-cloud environment. Now, note the difference between the terms. Hybrid cloud means you host on-premises and use an external cloud provider. Whereas multi-cloud means you use multiple external cloud providers. Now, if you're using a common cloud platform like AWS, Azure, or Google Compute, then you can look into a Gartner Magic Quadrant category known as Cloud Workload Protection Platforms. And, and here you might encounter vendors like Palo Alto Prisma Cloud, or Wiz or Orca who will provide you with recommendations for your cloud configuration settings. So let's say your organization uses on-prem and AWS, but not Azure or Google. Does that mean you have only two clouds? Probably not. You see, there's one more type of cloud-hosted service that you need to understand how to defend. And the most common cloud model organizations leverage is software as a service, or SaaS. Frankly, we don't hear about SaaS security being discussed much, which is why we're doing a deep dive on it in security in this episode. We think there's a real danger of SaaS clouds turning from a nice cloud that gently cools down a hot summer day into a severe weather storm that can cause a major event. So let's look at SaaS security in a little more depth. SaaS refers to cloud-hosted solutions whereby vendors maintain most everything. They run the application, they host the data, they provide runtime environments, middleware, operating systems, virtualization technologies, servers, storage, networking. It can be a huge win to run SaaS solutions since it minimizes the need to have IT staff running all these IT services and the savings extend to infrastructure maintenance. For example, hiring an HVAC vendor to ensure we have proper heating and cooling for servers on-prem is an expense that doesn't add any additional sales revenue to the business. Now, if I've made my case that SaaS is important, you should ask yourself, to how many external SaaS providers are we sending sensitive data? Every company is different, but most can expect to find dozens to hundreds of SaaS-based solutions. Here are some examples of external SaaS solutions commonly encountered by most businesses. Microsoft 365 or G Suite. It's used for what? Everything. Document cre- creation, spreadsheets, management, and of course, email. How about Salesforce for your customer relationship management? ServiceNow or Jira for a ticketing service. Workday for HR information. GitHub is a source repository for developers. Zoom for virtual teleconferences. Slack for instant messaging and team coordination, Okta for identity and access management, and the list goes on and on. Now, if you start thinking about it that way, we're saying, yeah, there's a lot more SaaS than I really gave credit for. See, basically, if you didn't write the code and you're not running it on your own machines, then it's probably software as a service. And once you build out an inventory of your third-party hosted SaaS solutions, you need to understand the second question what kind of data is being sent to each service. In many instances, it's likely to be sensitive or proprietary data. Customer PII and PCI data might be stored in Salesforce. Diversity or medical information, PHI for employees, would be stored in Workday. Sensitive algorithms and proprietary software code could be stored in GitHub and so on. And therefore, if it is data that we care about, then we need to ensure it doesn't get into the wrong hands. We need to understand why we care about SaaS-based security, which is commonly known as SaaS security posture management. And let's consider the four major benefits of adopting this type of service. Number one is detection of account compromise. Today, bad actors can use man-in-the-middle attacks to trick users into giving up their passwords and even the MFA token values. And these attacks can also provide the session cookie credentials that allow a website to know a user has already been authenticated. If attackers replay these session cookie credentials, there's no malware on the endpoints. And this means that antivirus and EDR tools don't have the telemetry they need to detect an account compromise. Therefore, you need log data from the SAS providers to see anomalous activity such as changing IP addresses on the application. Now I know we talked about this attack in much more detail on episode 87 from Hunt Team to Hunter with Bryce Kunz. In addition to detecting account compromises, we see that SaaS security posture management solutions also improve detection times and response capabilities, number two. So let's just say that someone in your organization has their login credentials for Microsoft 365 compromise, and they're made available on the dark web. Remember, Microsoft 365 is the new official name for Office 365. So Ben Actor can buy those credentials and log into your Microsoft 365 environment. Next, the intruder begins downloading every sensitive file and folder they can find. Now, do you have a solution that monitors Microsoft 365 activity for data loss prevention? And if not, then you're going to be missing that data breach as it's happening, and you'll find out when the FBI shows up at your doorstep informing you of your well, undetected compromise. So be sure to implement solutions that both log and monitor your SaaS providers so you can improve your SaaS incident detection and response capabilities. A third benefit we have seen is improvements to configurations and compliance. You can think of news articles where companies were publicly shamed when they lost sensitive data by leaving it in a public Amazon S3 bucket when it should have been private. Similarly, there are settings in most SaaS solutions that need to be configured properly. The truth is many of these settings are not secure by default. For most vendors, usability trumps security. So if you're not looking at your SaaS configuration settings in detail, then you run an increased risk of sensitive data compromise. Here's an all too common scenario. Let's say your company hires an intern to write a custom Salesforce page that shows customer documents containing PII, and the new intern releases updates to the page every two weeks. Unfortunately, the intern was never trained in all the Salesforce best practices and creates a misconfiguration that allows customer invoices to be discovered by other customers. How long would this vulnerability be in production before it's detected by a bad actor? And if you think the answer is less than 90 days, then performing yearly penetration tests is insufficient to detect in time the potential brand damage your company is likely to incur you need to implement a control that finds vulnerabilities in hours or days, not months. This control might notify you of compliance drift in real time when your Salesforce configuration stopped meeting a CIS benchmark. Now you could pay a penetration testing provider thousands of dollars each week to continually assess your Salesforce environment, but that would be cost prohibitive. But if you really want to do this, let me know. I can help you spend your money. So focus on being proactive by switching from manual processes such as pen testing to things that can be automated with tools and monitoring and regular reporting. The fourth major benefit of adopting SaaS security posture management is proper access and privilege management. For critical business applications, you often need to enforce least privilege and prevent the harm that one person can cause. Therefore, it's common to require two or more people to perform a security-related function. For example, one developer writes new code for a customer-facing website, and another developer reviews the code to detect if there's any major bugs or glaring issues that might result in a compromise. However, one thing I've learned is that over time, projects come and projects go, but access rights accumulate. And Having a solution that helps mitigate privilege creep ensures that developers don't increase their access without your knowledge. Another example of the importance of proper access management occurs when bad employees are fired. Well, when a bad employee is fired, then the company needs to immediately remove their access to sensitive data and applications. And this is pretty easy when you control access via a single sign-on solution and just disable their account in one place. However, many SaaS providers don't integrate with single sign-on or SAML. And additionally, the SaaS website is nearly always internet accessible, so people can work from home even if they're not on a corporate VPN. Therefore, it's common to encounter scenarios where bad employees are fired and their account access is not removed in a timely manner. The manager probably doesn't remember the 15 SaaS accounts they granted to an employee over a three-year time frame. When fired employees are terminated and access isn't removed, Even if you don't encounter any malicious activity, you can expect an audit finding, especially if it's on a SOX compliant application. Okay, so now that we've talked about the four major drivers of SaaS security posture management, detection of account compromise, improved detection and response times, improvements to configuration and compliance, and proper access and privilege management, let's learn from today's guest who can tell us about some best practices with respect to implementation. Well, I'm privileged to introduce today's guest, Ben Johnson. Ben's the Chief Technology Officer of Obsidian Security, and he's been involved with some rather interesting security startups in the past. Uh, Ben, welcome to the show. Glad to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we've, we've talked a few times before, and I knew I wanted to get you on the show because you've got some really great insights that I thought we want to share with our audience. But first of all, can you tell everybody here a little bit about yourself? You know, where'd you come from? What are you doing? And how'd you end up where you're at now?
1: Yeah, well, well, thank you. I think it's it's always good to hear people's story and hopefully it it helps others navigate their own careers and, and journeys. You know, I think one thing that's going on with cybersecurity is people are feeling that there's a lot of work. And so I think one thing I wanted to start with is I am married with three kids, and the reason I bring that up is I think we all have to remember that we have families and this is you know they're sort of on this cybersecurity journey with us but i think what's more interesting to the audience is the professional journey <laughs> and, uh, i actually got my start by watching the movie enemy of the state and i said wow this is really cool nsa like what is this and at the time it was no such agency so i literally applied to nsa the next day ended up uh, working in the intelligence community for about 7 years great time you know tssci uh, you know classified work and uh, different parts of the government and that kind of thing. Ended up then uh, deciding I wanted to try the private sector and met up with some buddies from the intelligence community and accelerating the story a little bit, uh, ended up coming up in part with the idea for Carbon Black and helped to create the whole EDR type space and, and technology and uh, saw that go from from basically nothing through various uh, uh, aspects of the journey, about 800 people, and then decided I want to do it again, so ended up uh, joining Glenn and Matt to start Obsidian Security, where we're really focused on on SaaS and really the lack of good quality SaaS security tools. So I could probably spend all day talking about uh, various things I skipped over, but uh, you know that's my journey from enemy of the state to now sitting here with you.
0: Well, that's pretty interesting. I think that for anybody who is or has worked in the government, there's always a kind of wondering, like, what's it going to be like when I get out there? And you typically find out that the skills, the training, the expertise, and the opportunities that you get when you're serving, either in the dot .gov or, in my case, the dot .mil world, really pan out very nicely. And you also get exposed to things in that type of world that you typically don't get run into in the dot .com world. But your focus then has been startups, not large companies. So I got to imagine it's carbon blackout up to around 800 people. You're starting to kind of get there where you're building bureaucracies and things like that. But do you find that small companies, well, I was going to say, can you compare it to a large one, but you haven't worked for a big one other than the government. Are there any cultural differences that you've seen from a startup perspective versus maybe an established organization?
1: Yeah, I think I've, I've tried to Figure out what has drawn me so much to more of the entrepreneurial path and, and spirit, and I think it really was those days in the government where certainly there's 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 jobs where you know government is not moving fast or whatever. But I was very fortunate to be part of some incredible teams that uh, were very tied to operational need, and basically someone would come to us and say, "You need to invent something by this weekend," or we're not going to like what happens, and we, you know, so it's very urgent, very uh, kind of mission focused, supporting some, 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 some pretty incredible things, and so that I think just you know kind of parlayed over into or translated over into, wow, I really like this whole like you can't just Google the answer; you have to build something, you have to write code, you have to build together different technologies, libraries, what have you, and. And solve problems. And then I think the types of people that tend to be more drawn to that are the ones that, you know, have that bias to action, that they really want to have an impact. And you know, that's not to say you can't work for a a large company and, and have the same mentality or have the same impact or maybe even larger impact. But I just like the fact that there's a lot of kind of uncertainty and you just have to kind of bulldoze through it and come up with the solution.
0: That's pretty cool. So for those who are thinking about what's it like on the outside, I remember giving a talk years ago called Pwning Time. I think it was a keynote for TourCon in San Diego back in 2010. So it's been a while. And it was an area where I was addressing to people, what if you wanted to leave your regular corporate shtick and go to a startup and everybody thinks I'm hanging from the end of a, a rope in a totally dark room and it's got to be 50, 70, 100 feet to the floor and it's going to fall and it's going to break into pieces. And when you finally let go, boom, you realize you're only about 2 inches off the ground, you could have let go at any time because no one's going to condemn you for trying your startup or trying to be independent and then hopping back on the corporate ladder. It doesn't damage you in any way. But boy, if if you can do well without those restrictions that come with large organizations as well as well the resources, so you really have to be innovative, then small business can be wonderful. And and you've now been part of two excellent teams, Carbon Black and now Obsidian, which I think is pretty neat. And so your focus has been on security. And in particular, on this episode, we've been talking about software as a service security and really kind of the whole issue behind SaaS security posture management. And so is this being addressed well in the marketplace? I would think the answer might be no, otherwise you wouldn't have created something. But what's your perception? How do you see it as somebody who deals with this
1: every day? I think... SaaS security, SSPM, uh, you know, et cetera is, is, is really starting to take hold. You know, the market's starting to understand we need something. And, you know, back when we started this in 2017, you go talk to a, to a CISO, a security engineer, you know, someone that's in the trenches and you're like, Hey, how are you defending Salesforce? Or what are you doing about uh, G suite? And they'd be like, well, I got something like Okta, you know, an identity management uh, provider. Maybe I have MFA, like a duo or something. But once people log in, I have no idea what's happening. And that was kind of frightening. <laughs> and when you think about some of the data that's stored in these systems. But, you know, the the, the industry has continued to evolve, continued to have more and more cloud focus. Obviously, the, the sort of work from anywhere pandemic, uh, you know, environment really, I think, accelerated some of the distributed and remote tools and and, and cloud-based uh, workflows and things, which were already the trend, but you know, within a week or two in 2020, needed to be deployed to everyone, right? Zoom and, and everything else. And so I think teams have realized, hey, these workflows are part of our future. They're, they're really part of our current. And uh, now we need security tooling to help give our teams both kind of left of boom and right of boom uh, capabilities, which we can talk about more.
0: Right. Now, it would seem to me that if you've got a successful... Software as a service tool, whether it's Microsoft 365 or you would mentioned Zoom or anything else. I mean, by golly, with the amount of money they can bring in, you'd think they do security perfectly, that it would be absolutely excellent. And with all those resources that they had available, there wouldn't be a problem. But that's not really what happens, is it?
1: Yeah I mean the the you're correct the the shared responsibility model you know I think it is great that we don't have to worry about you know patching the underlying uh, servers that are powering Microsoft 365 or Workday or whatever however it's still our responsibility right I think people forget that <laughs> like it's 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 our responsibility for who has access what data is getting put in what are the configuration settings and such and you know I think all of these providers it's all about availability and ease of adoption. And, you know, that's that's how they're making their money is selling the the productivity side of, of the house. And so security, I think, is, is still an area of catch-up for most of these providers, where even if they are generating some alerts or some detections or something, it's so different from all the other apps that teams really don't want to have to go bouncing from, you know, application to application to try to defend them.
0: And it's also really a split responsibility model, isn't it? You can't just outsource your risk to the SaaS provider and then say, if something goes wrong, well, it's their fault. We paid the invoice, so they're not supposed to let bad things happen. You lose if something goes wrong there. Plus, it's got to interface with something, so we all have something on our side as well. So it seems to be that there's a fairly unique challenge now in the split responsibility model with the SaaS providers. And since many of them aren't going to give you source code, I don't think any of them will, or let you go probe around their systems or do your own sock audits and things like that, we really have to rely on some other type of a tool set to watch what's going on and then try to monitor that information flow back and forth and then say, you know, that just doesn't quite look right. Because as far as the SaaS provider is concerned, they don't really know what looks right other than perhaps some really bad stuff or known bad, but every organization, even every user has their own unique footprint. And and so as a result, how do we go about learning that? It's kind of almost a behavioral-based model to say, uh, you know, for example, I was on travel last week over in Europe and I took a look at my console and it says, you know, warning, G. Mark Hardy did impossible travel. He was here, then he was there. It's like, well, I know that. It's me, so I can dismiss that alert. But I didn't get that alert From Microsoft, and I didn't get that alert from any other tool, but I did get it with Obsidian. So full disclosure here, I am a paying customer, but that's not why you're on the show. And this is not obviously an infomercial. But what I get out of that tool as a CISO is the ability to drill down and look at things and say, that just doesn't look right. As well as have log abilities that sometimes exceed what I would get from my software as a service provider. And so I, I think I'm kind of reverse engineering some of the things that you guys have created. So as companies move their things out to the cloud, I have to imagine that from time to time they're end up getting compromises and things like that. Have you, have you heard about anything that maybe we haven't heard about already in the news with regard to organizations having their data compromised because they've been entrusted them into third party software as a service environments?
1: Yeah, so you know, I think there's a couple things, right? Uh, you know, first and foremost, these applications are tricky for security teams and really the organization as a whole to try to figure out who owns what aspect of the application, right? So you have vertically, you have you know basically the shared responsibility or split re- responsibility between the SaaS provider and your company, but then you essentially have this horizontal you know, distribution where maybe there's an application owner with, you know, availability and, and some of the configuration, maybe IT is responsible for, you know, kind of IAM and, and some you know, aspects of, of just accessing these systems. And then security is meant to do threat detection, you know, hardening uh, recommendations, things like that. And so it, it creates a, a quite a challenging environment where now you have multiple teams with slightly or sometimes very different incentives and, you know, goals, KPIs, OKRs, et cetera. So first and foremost, I think that's a challenge. And then, you know, secondly, you do have threat actors, whether internal or external, who have figured out that most of your data maybe now lives in SharePoint or GitHub or whatever. And so, yeah, we certainly see, unfortunately, every week, pretty much we see, you know, account compromise, we see insider threat activity, but sometimes it's not malicious, right? It's, it's, it's accidental. You have maybe 50,000 employees <laughs> trying to do their job trying to share files and do things and they accidentally share something with any anonymous user or you know they they just you know kind of make a mistake or the admin accidentally turns off MFA and then it just makes it a little bit easier for the bad guys right so yeah we certainly see things but to give you some some specific examples we certainly see systems like Microsoft 365 and, and Google workspace targeted for business email compromise right and we work with incident response firms every single week, and usually it's a Friday night, right? <laughs> but we work with them every single week to deploy Obsidian because it is a rapid uh, deployment uh, scenario. But but the point is that these systems are being targeted for business email compromise for various reasons. Could be more sophisticated and you know, espionage driven, or it could just be, I'm trying to use your account to spam everyone. We do see people who are on the way out the door that start sharing everything with their gmail account or we start seeing people downloading everything from something like github before they, they they depart and unfortunately that's usually not a a positive thing for anyone involved and then we see just things that are more just hygienic around like I've seen a chief medical officer at a huge <laughs> healthcare company forwarding all their email to a yahoo address and it's not there's no malintent there but should all of these sensitive emails or potentially sensitive emails for someone at such a high level in the organization be going out to basically a personal email box? No. So we see it all. And again, I could probably spend all day talking about this, but you know, the risk is real.
0: And I think some of us have kind of cringed a little bit, as you've mentioned a few things like, yeah, I've seen that happen before. And yet oftentimes they just pull rang and said, well, make it happen. You know, yes, sir. or Yes, ma'am. And, and off you go. And so as a result, if we're faced with a situation where we don't get the control sets on the SaaS tools, usually IT's running that, not the cybersecurity team. We get to go ahead and take a look at the testing tools to find vulnerabilities, and we get to see maybe findings and things like that. But we're we're not adjusting the knobs necessarily. And as a result, because that's out of reach, it kind of brings this case around again to the idea of a SaaS software. Security posture management tool to say how are we got to handle on this, and if someone says, "Okay, aha, I get it, G Mark, this is a really useful thing. I want to do something now. What's what's the path? What's the most difficult thing for someone to set this whole thing up in the first place? Is it put disk one into drive A and press enter and secure your enterprise, or is it a lot more complicated than that? And, and what's involved?"
1: It's actually the opposite, which is, uh, it's, it's quite easy to get started. Really, I would say, you know, trying to think about what's the hardest aspect of this, it's not technical, it's the fact that this is a newer area that maybe you're just not accustomed to, or you haven't, you know, considered before. And so really just saying, you know what, we're going to do this, that, that, that's the, you know, typically the, (laughs) the, the sort of bottleneck in the whole process, once you say go. The cool thing with SaaS is you're typically integrating with these products through OAuth or an API token. So there's there's nothing to, you know, you're not deploying an agent on every employee's box or something like that. And uh you know, typically there's reasons maybe you'd want write access, you know, to to take action or something, but typically you can start with read only access. So you're confident you're not going to, you know, that the application owner is confident, the security team's not going to just turn something off or whatever. And so really it's just that mentality of like, let's do something. Right. But once you get going, it's typically like day one, you're getting value from, you know, a product like this where it's saying, Hey, here's all your weaknesses. Or, or at least here's the weaknesses you should start with. You know, maybe you don't want to see all of them, and then here's maybe some you know threats. Here's some suspicious activity or you know malicious activity. And so you know, I think it's it's really cool to get started because it's so easy to deploy something like this, and right away you're you're, you're getting insights.
0: So what it's really doing then is ingesting logs and other types of activities, but not inundating the analyst with this huge volume of data. But rather, it's if I if I'm understanding this correctly, you get a dashboard which says, hey, we've reduced out the noise based upon rule sets. It can adapt. And then you say, this is what you really ought to be looking at. If you had, if you had 20 minutes to focus on cybersecurity, and then you had to run out the door, what should you be doing for 19 and a half of those minutes? And would we be able to do something like that with a tool like this where it would bubble up to the top based upon, here's our best assessment of what might be risky. Now, it might be false positive, but the fact is it's probably not noise. And so I, I can see this, as you had mentioned early at the, in our conversation about family time being important, this could actually go a long way toward keeping you from having to pick through a bunch of stuff late at night, it would seem.
1: <laughs> well, that's the hope. But, uh, you know, I think it's it, it's really about integrating with workflows, right? And And I don't want to sound too formal or anything, but I think security programs, you're trying to build that, you know, journey from something happens to something is, you know, kind of remediated or cleaned up. And how do you do that with the staff, which is, you know, usually lean teams, right? But how do you do that with the staff and the various security tools and tech stack and everything? And so I think it's about you plug something in and you immediately want, you know, 24 seven kind of threat, threat monitoring, you know, threat management, detect the bad and help me investigate the suspicious and things like that. But then it's not just about that. It's about, you know, whether you call it shift left or getting upstream or whatever, you know, sort of the protect and NIST, right? The left of boom help me harden, help me find the essentially SaaS equivalent of, of vulnerability management and figure out like, how do, I, how do I fix my weaknesses? You know, how do I lock things down without impacting productivity, right? I, I think that's really a parallel work stream because, you know, you, you want to throw the, the, the detections, the alerts, et cetera, into your existing, you know, kind of threat focused team and, and SOC or whomever is doing that, but you, you want to continually drive the organization to get better.
0: And that sounds like a really good thing to be able to do. When you start out, I would imagine, are you kind of in a reactive mode? And then at some point in time, you get this intelligence, the insight, and then can kind of move over toward a, more of a proactive approach, as I think you're suggesting. How long does that transition typically take?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to willingness to you know go have conversations with you know, someone like application owners, but I think I can actually break it down into, into kind of three different areas. Right. So, you know, I think before any, before we go into any three areas, you know, I think one of the challenges is none of us grew up defending SaaS, right? I mean, most of us that have, you know, been around 20 plus years or whatever, We've reverse engineered malware, we've played around with, uh, you know, different uh, buffer overflows and all sorts of stuff, right? Like we, and, you know, we looked at uh, Wireshark and various network packets and whatever, but we have years, if not decades of experience doing that stuff, or at least someone on the team does. But when you talk about defending Salesforce or looking at uh, ServiceNow misconfigurations or whatever, this is kind of bleeding edge, or at least very recent history type stuff. and so there's this barrier to entry of just, okay, well, what, I don't even know what, what to learn, or, you know, I don't, I don't know what I don't know kind of thing. And then if you multiply that times a bunch of different SaaS apps, each of which is different, different logs, different events, you know, I think that's, that's a lot of the challenge is just kind of diving in, getting started and ramping up. Having said all that, I think if you break it down into to really three different areas, it's, you know, it's kind of the threat focused detect and respond workflow, get an alert. Respond, clean up, tune it, maybe add new detections, et cetera, that, that kind of team. Then on the, on the hardening side, and I think this is where teams are really trying to build up their capabilities, or you know kind of get more aggressive, you actually can split it in half, or, or at least in pieces, one of which is what application settings or, you know, what at this more administrator level can I go work on? What can I go fix, harden, et cetera, right? And that's typically a partnership between the application owner who, again, might be in IT, but it might live in HR or sales or marketing or whatever. So I think there's that level that's more global impact. But then you have this this kind of often, unfortunately, it's kind of a mess of you have 5,000, 10,000, 100,000, whatever employees, users, contractors, et cetera, using some of these tools. And you have this whole area of hygiene around how are they sharing files how are they adding integrations you know third party apps are they adding some random chess game into slack or whatever you know we've kind of seen it all how many amazon alexas have they connected up to read their email to them in the morning or whatever but that's not necessarily working with the admins yes you should include them but that's kind of like well how do i tackle this population hygiene problem and do i automatically unshare files or do i automatically publish a top 10 most wanted list of like you you're the 10 people that have installed the most integrations and you don't want to be on that list kind of thing. We've kind of seen it all. But you, you got to think about these different ways to start tackling some of this risk. And fortunately we're seeing teams get a bit more aggressive and want to do something here.
0: And so what they're now armed with is the knowledge of what's actually happening instead of having to guess at it or pour through tons of logs. And depending upon their relationship with management and then the team they're on or the the company they're working with, they can come out there and usually naming and shaming is not a lead technique in the security that makes you endeared to others, but it's some, there is a place for it and kind of a, maybe a lightweight wall of shame or even just notifying people privately rather than posting it up. Oh, by you know, you're the worst offender in the organization could have some effect on that. And, It all comes down to being able to see what's going on, to look across these different clouds, to know what the potential risks are that are being induced both by configuration settings as well as user behavior, and maybe endemic within the SaaS platform itself. For example, looking at threat information and new vulnerabilities come out, it says, yeah, we need to go fix that thing, and you you probably should go do that. So if a CISO is looking to kind of move in this direction and say, all right, what would I look for when I'm trying to come up with a solution there? Are there any things that would represent guidance in terms of how you would potentially select a particular solution?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think first and foremost, you, you need to say, hey, technology is a huge part here because you don't want to bounce from SaaS app to SaaS app again, some of which your security team might not have a lot of access to because, you know, it's just sort of protected by the team. Which is a good intent. I mean, they're trying to protect who has admin access because they don't want a whole bunch of admins or whatever. But in terms of technology, I think you got to focus on both proactive, you know, hardening, that kind of thing, as well as the ongoing monitoring. You know, reactive has sometimes sounds negative, but you know, the whole detection and response, threat management, like bad stuff is unfortunately either going to happen or at least people are trying to make it happen to something like Microsoft 365. So you have to look for it. You have to monitor for, for it and be able to respond to it. And then, you know, an area that we're seeing a lot of interest in as well is is really these integrations, right? So you got to try to harden and you know protect and detect and respond to your kind of key sanctioned SaaS apps. But now all of these apps have marketplaces and they're all about integrations and and that's great. Like I can send data from, you know, Google to Slack to Microsoft to Salesforce, whatever. But there's just an explosion of these integrations as well. So you got to think about, well, how am I getting visibility into what all my, you know, again, it could be admins, but it could be users as well when users are integrating. So I think you have to think about skill sets and needs from a security program perspective. But what we've seen is pretty much everyone out there needs continuous monitoring, you know, SOC, IR detect and respond management kind of thing. But you also need the proactive discovery assessment, you know, hygiene hardening around uh, the application and the integrations involved.
0: And what I think I heard you kind of mentioning in there almost subtly is you don't want to end up with 22 different point solutions for 22 different cloud providers. It'd be nice if you could have a, a single pane of glass. And that sounds aspirational for some of us and for other folks who are working on it said, hey, you know, it's coming, or it's there. Go take a look at it and go explore your solution sets. So this has been wow, really helpful and fascinating. So thank you for the time. Any other final comments or insights or words of wisdom you might have for for our listeners?
1: Yeah, the the risk is there. Please, uh, you know, please, please take a look at uh, what you're doing around some of these key SaaS apps. Whether it's a uh, you know proactive hardening approach or a detect and respond approach, really, you need both. And it's also about how does it integrate into your overall operational workflows in terms of where do alerts flow? Is it a SIM, a data lake, a SOAR? How do you pull information and give it to the team that's doing the hardening or even compliance or other, other things too, where, you know, you, you better believe your SaaS apps are in scope for these (laughs) compliance obligations. So I think it's really just, Hey, this is here. There's a lot of risk. Your entire, sometimes entire company is running on SaaS. You know, kind of what are you doing about you know securing it? And you know you can you can still have the exact same productivity, but you can harden it and make it uh, make it safer.
0: And I think that's an excellent way to kind of wrap up. You can harden it, but keep the productivity and, and and do it well. And that's really our challenge that we have, and really our commitment as security leaders is to deliver on the business mission of enabling the organization to function. Revenue protection, as we like to say, is kind of one of your primary jobs here. And you do that by avoiding breaches, by unnecessary expenses and downtime and things like that. So, Ben, thank you for your time and insight. And for those who are listening, thanks again for including CISO Tradecraft in your professional development regimen. We hope you've enjoyed learning about the various clouds we're in, the on-premises cloud, the cloud computing vendors, and the software as a service. And the four major benefits of a SaaS security posture management. If you remember them, one, detecting account compromise, two, improving detection and response times, three, improving configuration and compliance, and four, proper access and privilege management. And so we recommend evaluating a SaaS security posture management tools for your organization and implement what you choose and make it a better handle on your overall security. And I'd also like to thank Obsidian Security for sponsoring today's episode and our special guest, Ben Johnson. Remember, if you liked our day's show, please take a 5 Five seconds and leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider. We'd appreciate that very much. So this is your host, G. Mark Hardy, and thanks again for listening. And until next time, stay safe.